It's about time in a film nothing happened. What a brave choice a director made. What a, what a pioneer this guy is. Let's do nothing. Do you know anything about the art of film production? Well, I like to think so. Is this where I go to be a star? This is where you go to sacrifice, learn your craft, and work hard. Movies. Mm -hmm. Well, let's yeah. talk movies. Okay. Pick this up. Control sound. Roll camera. Speed. Dead. Walker. Welcome to Scene by Scene. This is a film discussion podcast where we break down story and technique from a filmmaker and film lover's perspective. My name is Joe. And my name is Justin. In this episode, we'll be discussing Charlie Kaufman's Synecdoche, New York. Our discussion will be spoiler heavy, and you may find this discussion more engaging if you've seen the film before listening. Joe, this was your pick. I'll let you get started. <laughs> this was my pick. It's a film that I had watched sometime in the 2009-2010 range. I know that it wasn't immediately when it came out. It was like a Blu-ray version of it that I had picked up that has since mysteriously disappeared. And Whoa, 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 whoa. I'm sorry. I have a DVD here that I believe is yours. Oh, I'm sorry. It was DVD. Yeah. Yeah, you're not going to accuse me of stealing a Blu-ray. I'm sorry. You're right. It, it was only DVD. Okay, well, you can have it back now. We'll determine if I even want it back. So we'll get into that in a moment here. But I originally watched this in 2008, 2009, as I had said. And I remember being actually tremendously impacted by it. So much so that my wife had informed me that upon letting her know that this was my choice in a film that we were going to watch and discuss, she informed me that she doesn't want me at home after we watch it and I needed to go stay with Justin and his wife. It's kind of interesting, and this is something that we'll eventually talk about, but I recall this film really hitting me hard and it sent me into this spiral almost where you know I was really down and really depressed for months. And upon revisiting it, I reflect upon my feelings at that time, and, and my takeaways are considerably different now than they were then. We'll talk a little bit about the themes of it, and maybe my interpretation of certain themes have changed. I know I have changed as an individual, because at the time I was really wrestling with this question of, do I want to continue with film? You know, I hadn't worked on a project in a in a very long time, and it just kind of felt like this thing that maybe wasn't going to be a part of my life, and I, I wasn't maybe ready for that, but I was kind of forcing it or forcing that to be a decision. I know my feelings at the time were beyond what this film was, but at that moment, it really spoke to me and, and where, where I was mentally and emotionally. Fast forward to now and the rewatch, and admittedly, I did what I've been doing for a lot of these films. I watched it two nights back to back. I'm sorry to say, for a film that had such an impact on me, this time I felt apathy towards it. So... I obviously have a much different experience with this film, but the result is pretty much the same. This is my first time seeing the film. For many years, heard things about the film from you and from other people. I swear I've had your 
DVD copy of it for at least a couple of years. I mean, that's how long you've been talking about, you know, how much it affected you and how long you've been trying to get me to watch it. And you're not the only one. Many other people love this film with people in the film community seem to really love this film. I'm not saying it has universal acclaim or anything, but just as an example, many people I follow on Letterboxd have rated this like a four and a half or five stars. You know, within the YouTube film video essay community, it's a popular topic, one that people love digging into and exploring the meaning of all of, I guess, these little puzzle pieces that are kind of hidden or not so hidden in the film. People dedicate so much time to analyze and break down this film. It means so much to so many people. So having watched it for the first time this week, I'm going to be honest, this is not what I expected. There's moments of enjoyment in this film for me, particularly with the comedy that does come from Kaufman's writing. But even that, I was trying to get ready for this episode and I, I didn't do a full rewatch. I watched certain scenes over and I found that the comedy on repeat viewing didn't really quite work. It worked the first time, not the second time. But other than like those moments where I did kind of laugh, I didn't get a lot out of the film. I definitely, in terms of finding an emotional connection to the film, I was left very cold. If people have followed us so far, this may be our most negative episode. I want to kind of put the caveat behind that. You know, while I think both of us maybe didn't necessarily love the film, and admittedly, like when I watched it in 2009, 2010, I really did love this film. It's just that things have changed. And that doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to trash the film or that our opinions are right and other people's opinions are wrong. You acknowledged it. There is a lot of love for this film. Charlie Kaufman, to me, is like one of the great screenwriters in you know modern film. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, I've rewatched countless times, and I still adore that film. I love being John Malkovich, Adaptation. Yeah, you know, we're not trying to be super negative about the film, but acknowledging it just didn't necessarily work. I did express that it can sometimes be hard to articulate why or when a film is going to like really just connect with you emotionally or, or make a big impact on you. That sort of goes beyond whether it's a good film or a well-made film. It's something completely separate from my perspective. And so I may be very negative about the film throughout this podcast. The things I'm negative about are my opinion and people may disagree and I'm sure a lot of people will disagree. But I also want to clarify that if I say negative things about the film, I'm obviously in no way implying that your emotional reaction to the film is invalid in any way. I mean, if you connect with the film in that way, I think that's a, a really special thing. It doesn't happen as much as I think all film lovers wish it did. So when it does happen, I think it's special. We welcome the feedback and the difference of opinion. We provide the email at the end of the episode to reach out. And and I, honestly, this is one that I would really love to hear back from our listeners that do love this and you know that this connects with. And let us know why it did, because I'm always interested and curious to hear what other people have to say. I think we can kind of get into what this film is about. I have a lot of problems. 
Going through some things. I'm hurt. Am I dying? Can you tell me that? I can't tell you. You can't tell me? No. No, you can't tell me if you can't tell me. No. I'm lonely. Yes. And? I'm afraid I'm gonna die. Anything else? I don't know what's wrong with me. And I want to do something important while I'm still well, here. That would be the time to do it, yes. Death comes faster than you think. The idea is to do a massive theater piece. What was this used for? Plays. Like theater plays? Have I disappointed you somehow? Everyone is disappointing. The more you know someone. I don't know what I'm doing. Knowing that you don't know is the most essential step to knowing, you know? I want you to beg me on your knees for a kiss. <laughs> we need to investigate the essence of each being. You're weirdly close to what I've visualized for this character. Glad to be weirdly close. You smell weird. What do I smell like? It's like you're menstruating. I don't know. I don't, I don't menstruate, so I don't know. I can smell like I'm menstruating. You tell me. I've been following you for 20 years, and I've learned everything about you. So hire me, and you'll see who you truly are. I'm just a little person. One person in a sea of many I'm not a homosexual. I don't know why I make it so complicated. That's what you do. I hope you're through any way I can. There are millions of people in the world. And none of those people is an extra. They're all leads of their own stories. Person. And we'll go out and play. Caden. What? When are we going to get an audience in here? It's been 17 years. Say thank you. Thank you. You're very welcome, young lady. Okay, I'm going to let you handle this, Joe. Good luck. <laughs> this is one that is a little bit harder to kind of quantify because there is, admittedly, there is a lot happening in this film. Philip Seymour Hoffman plays Caden Cotard, this struggling theater director who is married to Catherine Keener, and they have a daughter together. Uh, very early on in the film, you get the sense that there's something off in this relationship, and Catherine Keener leaves to go pursue art and, and painting, and Caden is kind of left behind. The film is really about Caden who is sort of in this space where he, there's several like medical things. There's this theme of death that is basically across the entire thing. Caden eventually receives some good news. He receives a MacArthur Fellowship grant and uses this to kind of create what I interpret as him trying to create his magnum opus. And really, it is just actors playing Caden and other people in his life and you know it starts to blur the lines between the fiction and the reality of it. Justin, I know I missed a whole bunch. Do you want to try to fill in the gaps because I'll acknowledge that was maybe not as Okay, here. Here it is. A theater director struggles with his work. 
and the women in his life as he creates a life-size replica of New York City inside a warehouse as part of his new play. How's that? That feels like an oversimplification, but... I mean, I think it's the reason why we we opt to try to explain it ourselves rather than just reading a description off of IMDb. I think I, there must be some, there's obviously some selfish reasons of being able to view his own life and that for view it, he'd be maybe learn something or be able to change. I think that's in there. But I do think the overriding fact is truth, is, is to, get, to get to the bottom of it somehow. Uh, and, but I don't think it's, it, that's pretty profound. I don't think you have to make it any profound, more profound than that. Um, but, but ultimately, truly, it's about, it's a man's life. The, you know, the art of it is just a reflection of that life. And I think that that's what life is. Whether you're a plumber or a truck driver or whatever, that's your art. You know, whether people think that's crazy or not. I mean, life reflects what you do, you know what I mean? And vice versa. And it's just kind of this reflection that he has, that he literally creates. So it's, it, even when we were shooting, I didn't like talking about it too much because I knew it just had to do with somebody wanting to <clears throat> create something great and honest and true pertaining to life and a true mirror up to nature, you know. Um, and they want his desire to want to leave something and, and that his desire to be loved for leaving something, you know, that we really get down to his, his desire to be appreciated and loved and that that's uh, a primary need of everyone on the earth, and that that's a lot what a lot of what drove him, you know. So it's many different things. It, it, From my perspective, and I think I maybe view this film differently than some people. There's sort of like two halves to this film. The first half we establish Caden is fixated on death. He sees death all around him. He's fixated on his own mortality and. He's a hypochondriac, I suppose, always thinking he has some illness. His wife, Adele, is, I guess, probably the opposite of him. We'll get into this a little bit more, I think. She tends to think he's making a big deal out of nothing. I think this is one reason, but only part of the reason that their relationship isn't going that well. At a certain point, she leaves him, takes their daughter with her, and that's where the second half begins, in which... I feel like all of the things that happen in the second half are a response to Adele leaving. The new play that he's he begins producing is in response to something she said to him. All of the relationships he starts with other women are just to sort of fill the void left by Adele and all of his daughter leaving. And it's just him either trying to get her attention to win her back or get her attention to prove her wrong, but then also him still struggling with these fears of his own death and all of these sort of ailments that sort of pop up out of nowhere. Obviously, the play that he begins working on gets bigger and bigger over the course of that second half and to the point where it becomes, like you said, unclear whether we're watching reality or we're watching, I guess, fiction. I mean, but that's kind of how I see it. Now, again, that's still an oversimplification as well. This is definitely a positive of this film. 
there is so much that is to interpretation. Even as you describe certain things, I interpreted some of these scenes differently. Like you talk about how Adele leaving maybe inspired him or the dialogue that she said kind of motivated him to a degree. I actually felt like the motivation came slightly out of jealousy because it's when he really sees the magazine article about it's good to be Adele. That's, I feel like, when things sort of change for him a little bit. So for me, there is an element of maybe jealousy or spite that is motivating him. Yeah, I actually agree with that too. So to go off of that, I mean, there is this idea of him just comparing himself to other people, whether it be Adele or whether it be like little winky author, the child. There is a, an element of comparing your accomplishments to the accomplishments of other people, which is a theme that I greatly relate to. It's something that I struggle with too, but it's not something that hits me emotionally in the film. But to bring it back to Adele for a moment, I do agree with you, but I also think that there's little moments, and again, this is not about me proving I'm right and you're wrong, because I do think it's many interpretations, and that's, I think, one of the positives I have for the film is Kaufman is similar to Lynch, unwilling to explain his feelings on it, and he wants every viewer to come up with what it means to them. So after she misses his opening night of the Death of a Salesman production, he says something about, you know, wanting to know what she would think of it or what she thinks of it. Are you happy with it? Yeah. I'd love you to, to know what you think. Well, it doesn't matter what I think. Absolutely. It's all about your artistic satisfaction, Caden. Maria and Adele kind of dismiss that and they're kind of, I think, secretly making fun of him. But there's this idea that he's seeking her approval. And then when she finally says, after having seen the play, what he's doing is just reenacting other people's old plays and that there's nothing personal in it. I can't get excited about you're restaging someone else's old play. Just there's nothing personal in it. That's sort of what plants the seed. After she leaves and he's still talking to the therapist, there's a conversation in which he says, I think Adele was right. I think Adele's right when she says I'm not doing anything real. What would be real? I'm afraid I'm going to die. I don't know what's wrong with me, and, and I want to do something important while I'm still here. Well, that would be the time to do it, yes. I feel like this is what the play is really about. Because the fact that it is so big and it continues to get bigger and bigger and bigger, and the fact that it's never finished, could be this idea of time slipping away, death sneaking up on you, and you're never able to finish your life's work or accomplish your goals or whatever. Certainly that's one interpretation. I always felt like Caden was so comfortable doing what he was doing until Adele said something, until she made it very clear what she thinks of him and his work. And at that point, that's when he changed. And then it was like, okay, I want to do something real and personal. And he, he doesn't get what that means. He misinterpreted what that means. The way he thinks of it is reality, being truthful, being honest, is about just recreating things that have already happened. The reason it's never done is because life keeps going on. He's still living. 
So as long as he's still living, there's still things to recreate and recreate. The work will only be complete after he dies. There's another line of dialogue, I think, that helps me feel this way. It's the moment where the woman playing Ellen, she takes over the director role. She seems to be doing a good job. And then Caden says, I'm out of ideas. There's a beat. And then he says, I'm dead. I'm out of ideas. So for me, it's this idea that when death comes, that's when his work on this production is truly over. Touching on what I originally said, where maybe some of this is motivated by that jealousy, by that success, I do also kind of question like Caden's ability to be successful because he's doing these things that have this self-destructive pattern. He doesn't know how to be genuine or authentic. One of the things that I really like about the film and the film does so well is it communicated really well Caden's lack of understanding of time. You don't get a sense of how much time has passed between relationships or as things are progressing. You know, there are little like hints, characters like kind of call out, well, you know, Adele's been gone for... It's been a year. It's been a week. Gonna buy you a calendar. Caden kind of like struggling and wrestling with trying to do this thing he's not comfortable with all while looking at it from the perspective of I'm going to die soon is just kind of at the core of it as well. But you started with, is he capable of being successful or is he even capable of being successful in a relationship or something like that? Maybe the problem with his personal life. I think is ultimately that he is so focused on himself. He's so focused on his illnesses or focused on his approaching death that he can't ever understand what other people are feeling or going through or thinking. After Sammy dies, he goes, I know how to do the play now. There are nearly 13 million people in the world. Can you imagine that many people? And none of those people is an extra. They're all leads of their own stories. They have to be given their due. And it feels like a big revelation for him. But, I mean, it does seem like the most obvious statement ever. Unless you've lived your entire life only thinking about yourself. Okay, th- I, I can see that. But isn't that also like a human nature thing where it's not the easiest thing to kind of look beyond oneself and see other people as their own character in their own story it's i i feel like we're verging on getting too engrossed in semantics but is it human nature to be more focused on yourself and to be always acting in your best interest yes i would say that is absolutely human nature and i think you see that in the film but to be at such a late point in your life and go oh i finally get it to other people they're the main character that feels like way late in life to come to that realization because i think that's separate from being selfish that's like being 
completely oblivious to the fact that other people are actually real people. Even after that realization, he kind of reverts back to his old ways in so I think to me that means it was a fleeting moment. Like say that I if I were to concede this one to you, I think it's only a fleeting moment that it even happens or exists anyways. Well, do we see it at all? Because Well, okay, it's beyond nothing more than a statement it's never seen and the scenes that follow don't give an implication that anything has changed. Traditionally, he'd have this realization and then you'd cut to a scene in which we see that being put to practice. But what happens is we immediately cut to them just reenacting that scene. I know how to do it now. There are 13 million people in this world. Can you imagine how many people that is? None of those people are an extra. They're all leaving their own story. They have got to be kidding. The new actor playing Caden is just repeating the exact lines of dialogue that Caden had just said. I don't even think we see it. To your point, I'm agreeing with you. I I've actually lost track of what point I was even trying to make. I do agree with you that it's words that don't result in any actual change or action. You're right, that's human nature as well. I do think that exists. I think this started with, is he capable of like having relationships? Because he's so focused on his own problems and his own ailments that he can never look at other people as actual people. I'm not actually critiquing the film. I think that's what happens, and I think that speaks volumes about who he is as a character. I do feel like maybe this is different perspectives that you and I have while looking at this film, and I do ultimately feel it's about death overall, but I do feel like there's this element of this yearning or desire for success when one doesn't know how to do that or how to execute that, even when they're given the opportunity. Part of the pitfalls of being an artist is sometimes this comparison and this jealousy towards others, this feeling of, I'm not going to ever accomplish my goal, I'm not going to be able to do this art that matters before I die. That is the lens that I had seen the film from back in that initial watch of 09. And I do feel like there's still a fair amount of that there for me, but I just feel like there is so much more to it. This is what I think is interesting, is I agree that those pieces are there and there's enough there for people to read it that way. What I think is interesting is that I myself don't, given the fact that I do suffer from comparing myself to other people, and I do suffer from this idea of wanting it to be the best it can be or wanting it to be even perfect in your eyes this project it's like you never release it you never show it to an audience because you are always trying to make it better you never want to release something that isn't in your eyes definitive or complete in some way so the fact that he is comparing himself to other people that he is working on this this one production for decades and he never shows an audience because it's never complete, it's never ready. You would think that these are the things that I would relate to because I suffer with these m myself. Yes. And while I acknowledge that they exist, they're not what stand out to me. They're not what speak to me about the film. And, and I think that has to be because of the way information is revealed, the way 
certain lines of dialogue are sort of planted and certain ideas are planted, I have to question, is it a good thing that so many people can see so many different things out of this film? I think ultimately that's a good thing. It encourages discussion. It encourages people to look at films deeper and to really analyze them. But I question if it's also a negative that there's so much going on in this film that none of them hit the way they should. Okay, so let's let's talk about this because we've spent a, a decent amount of time talking about what the film is to us and our interpretations. And again, acknowledging that we're both right, I do think that this is one of the reasons why the film doesn't actually work for me. Again, acknowledging absolutely love the work of Charlie Kaufman. This film feels very busy from a storytelling perspective. Part of the thing that happens when you're writing, especially if you're writing one piece over an extended period of time, is that you have an evolving understanding of the world and an evolving understanding of the piece. Um, and so if you're trying to be truthful, you can't you start out with one idea and as you as you as you become more familiar with it or or explore different aspects of the idea, uh, different things become um, revealed to you and you have to incorporate that. And so like whereas Caden's city kept getting bigger and bigger and more more populated as he was going on over years and years trying to do this thing there was really no ending to it you know even in the process of writing this you know and making it, it, it i've i've changed and uh you know and i'm trying to get closer to something i don't think i've arrived at anything i don't think you ever can and i think that's kind of one of the things that is expressed in in this movie you can't ever finish anything really because if you if you're trying to be inclusive of as much as you can of the truth of your existence then you just keep learning more you know and and it, and so it's like it's like the thing you were asking me about earlier if you have this sort of confusion about your feelings about somebody else you know that 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 too is part of your reality and you add that and you're not trying to direct it. I'm not trying to direct it towards a conclusion or a, or a grand statement. Um, I would never do that. I have no interest in that. I don't have. I don't feel like I have the authority to do that. I'm just trying to express a full, as full a feeling of 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 a life experience as I can. And and you know that can always. It's always going to be able to get more. You know. I think some people will find this very disrespectful, and I don't mean it to be because, again, Kaufman has my utmost respect. This feels like a film that you would see from a student filmmaker who's making his first feature film where I don't know if I'm going to get another one. So I'm going to just like try to like shovel and shoehorn in as much as I possibly can. I do think it's executed way better than that, but it is still this very busy film. I wanted to sort of try to create a way in my mind that you could view the same piece of film on different occasions and have different experiences with it. The audience relation to a movie doesn't affect the movie. The movie's already set in stone, you know? Um, so what you can offer people, or at least what I've decided I would like to try to offer people is an ability to watch this movie now and watch it in five years and have a different experience because you're a different person. As somebody who did watch it, previously and is now revisited, I did have the different experience. So I think that means Kaufman was successful in his goal. Is still acknowledging the film overall doesn't necessarily work for me, but he was successful in that goal because my view and perception of the film has changed and what the film is about has changed. 
I think it's great when you can watch a film, let's just say as an example, you watch it in your 20s in college, you watch it in your 40s, and then you watch it in your 60s, and each time you have a different experience. I think there's something special about that film if that can happen. And I also think there's something special about a film that if you show to 10 people, nine of those 10 people are going to have differing opinions or differing interpretations. The problem I feel is that when you're setting out to accomplish that, and that's your goal, I think it leads to what I think is part of the problem with this film is that it's about so many things, but it's about those things in such a broad, crude way. It's not specific in any way. It doesn't feel like it's really tackling any of those issues. You know, this is a film about death. One of the themes, one of the ideas is death. I would I would feel as you get closer and closer to death, a film about time slipping away from you, a film about, you know, the fact that we're all going to die one day would have a greater impact on your life. But I would imagine if I watch this film again, again, speaking from my own perspective, but if I watch this film again in 50 years and I know I'm, I'm going to die soon, I can't imagine me thinking that there's anything interesting or profound in this film. I think I would find it a little silly. And I say that because I don't think it says anything about death or the life experience leading to death. I think it's big sort of insight is that we are going to all die one day and that it's going to happen faster than we think. This idea that we feel like we have this whole life ahead of us and time goes by so quickly that even if we understand we will one day die, it's going to happen much sooner than we really think it is. I think that's what it's saying ultimately about death. And I don't know if, if that's getting specific enough to hold up over time. Does that make sense what I'm trying to say? You know, I, I do think that the film is trying to say some things about death, but I, I don't think that they're necessarily like profound or anything that, I hate to put it this way, but basically common sense things. For example, Caden is trying to do all these things to prolong his life. He's going to like the doctors. He's, you know, having these surgeries, taking all these pills. There's questions to it of, well, is this actually helping? I do feel like the film is saying some some things about medicine and doctors and healthcare in general. I, I think that the film is pretty overt about that. Going back to sort of how I view the film as far as this thing where Caden's just like, he wants to accomplish this before he dies, element of legacy. I feel like the film wants to have something interesting to say when it comes to look at how hard he's working on something that would be a legacy that when he's gone should be able to be left behind for those that come after and look at how it fails. What is interesting and what I do like about the film are those questions and those elements of legacy and, and leaving stuff behind. Like, that's what actually does speak to me about the film. But again, it's just trying to do so much. I don't think I would say that the film has nothing to say. I'm not trying to make that argument. I just would say maybe the film has a lot to say, but it doesn't say anything I hate saying it like this, but it doesn't say anything that hasn't already been said or anything that is truly profound. And so this is where it gets complicated for me, though, because I don't necessarily think movies should be profound. I don't look to movies to be 
profound or to say something wholly original and unique. But the problem I have is that the film feels so it feels like an intellectual exercise rather than a, an emotional one or even a storytelling one. You know, there's so much care and effort and thought put into just, you know, the idea of synecdoche, the meaning of synecdoche, the meaning of Caden's name, Caden Catard's name, the meaning of capgrass, which is another name used, the level of detail put into costume design. It feels like little puzzle pieces that are for people to discover or to research and put meaning to, but it doesn't feel like it's about an emotional experience. There's so little in terms of character, especially from other people outside of Caden himself. The ending, I guess the final 20 minutes or whatever, feels like about making sense of it or making your own meaning out of it. it feels so much about having this intellectual experience if that's what you're the type of film you're making i would say your ideas or what you're saying needs to be i guess something unique or something interesting related to your i guess comparing the film to like a student film don't you feel like this idea of naming every character a name that has this other meaning, maybe some scientific relevance to some sort of illness or mental disorder, doesn't that also kind of scream like student film level screenwriting to you, honestly? Honestly, yeah. It, it really does. And I think that there is an element to this film that maybe talks down to the audience a little bit. At one point, Caden brings up calling the the play Similicrum, and even Michelle Williams' character, Claire, was like, I don't know what that means. And I'm sitting there like, okay, well, Claire's character is definitely speaking for the audience here. I pause and I looked it up, and it means an image or a representation of someone or something, uh, an unsatisfactory imitation or substitute. That's exactly what the play is and, and what's happening there. Is it clever that we found this word to use to kind of describe it? Yeah, but I mean, we see this. We understand this to be true based off of the film. We understand that Caden is, is smarter than everybody else. We understand that Charlie Kaufman is smarter than everybody else. Don't beat us over the head with it. I 100% agree with you, but I'm going to also say that like this is an example that maybe someone could make the argument, well, him using that word is less about the filmmaker talking to the audience and more about just revealing who Caden is as a character. And I'll just say, okay, even though I agree with you on this, but I want to know what the justification is for naming someone Cotard, that's not an action or something a character says that reveals information about the character. That is specifically the screenwriter, I guess, thinking he's clever, or this is like a little puzzle piece, and everybody's going to want to go online and look up what this means, or this is going to be just a little piece of information that all those, uh, well, this film was made before... <laughs> This was really a thing, but you know, all these video essayists are going to pick up on and use as justification for their interpretation and whatever, whatever. The screenwriter is more focused on being clever or maybe planting a puzzle piece or whatever it is than telling a good story or giving us an experience that affects us emotionally. 
Now I say that acknowledging some people are emotionally affected by this film, not trying to take that away. I guess this film was just not made for me, honestly. Yeah. Cotard syndrome is a relatively rare condition that was first described by Dr. Jules Cotard in 1882, comprises any one of a series of delusions that range from a belief that one has lost organs, blood, or body parts, to insisting that one has lost one's soul or is dead. It is communicative of what this character feels and is going through, and, you know, kind of going back to your point, like, okay... If you don't take the time to actually look it up, this means nothing to you. It's just his name. And by doing the footwork, it's like, okay, yeah, I, I see it. I, I get it. It is one of those first feature philosophy film, bro. I made this movie decisions. And again, this is coming from somebody who... What, 13 years ago, I, I loved this film, and it's just... We've spent a, a fair amount of time talking as far as the story goes, the things that didn't work or we didn't like. And I kind of want to try to get some positivity in here. I kind of talked about it, but going back to it, I really appreciated how this film used the passages of time, especially being told from, like, Caden's perspective, questions about how long was Adele gone, and... And how long was it between his interactions with Hazel? Even the questions of how long was he married to Claire, Michelle Williams' character? The time thing is the thing that is most interesting to me. Because of the way it is represented in the film, it is one of these ideas that I certainly relate to in some way, but it's an idea that I don't know if you can really convey in other mediums. I don't think you would be able to convey the passage of time in a novel or a theatrical play the way you can with the tools of cinema. What's interesting is you see time going by quicker than you'd ever expect in the beginning, but then as the film progresses, which I think corresponds with Caden's age, you see the jumps in time getting larger and larger, which goes back to this idea that as kids or something, we have this perspective of time where time does seem to go much slower than what adults are feeling. As a kid, our perception of time is maybe related to how excited we are about something. The summer may go by very quickly, and then the school year might go by very slowly. But just in general, I think your perception of a year as an example, is so different as a child. I know I always used like Christmas as a something I was looking forward to every year, and it seemed like it would take forever to get to Christmas every year. And now it feels like it's February, and then the next thing you know, it's the beginning of December, and you're like, where did the whole year go? As you get older, you start to see time slip slip away from you at quicker rates. And so the way this is represented in the film is that opening scene does some, I think, interesting things with time. It represents it as if it's one day. He wakes up and he has breakfast. He goes and gets the mail. He reads the paper. He watches TV with his daughter. All this is conveyed as one day. But there's little clues from like the radio program, from the newspaper, the expiration date on the milk, even all the way up to like the calendar and stuff like that in the doctor's office, that these are actually days and months sort of slipping by without Caden ever even realizing it. This is an example of something that I think works really well is that these are details that add something to the story. So if you miss them the first time around, 
uh, but you pick up on them the second time or third time, or if you do a little research online and you discover them, like these are the details that actually add to the story rather than the things that I was just kind of complaining about that I don't think necessarily do. This is a good example. He'll be reading one article and it'll be October 12th. And then he'll say something to Adele and he'll look down to a new article and that article will have a heading that says October 16th or something. So in seconds, we've lost, you know, four days or whatever it is. And what I feel is kind of interesting and where I do think Kaufman does a, a really nice job as far as direction, storytelling, and I think Keener's performance here actually kind of helps this as well. There is that passage of time based off of like those breadcrumbs, but there is something just disconnected about Keener's performance. Keener's character just continues to kind of play it as very worn out, I think is the best way to position that. This character who's really kind of just tired of this monotony of Caden, of this relationship and this time passing, and maybe she's more acutely aware of it than Caden is. I mean, the other thing is, you know, how she ignores potential illnesses whereas he fixates on them. We're introduced to her character with a cough. <coughs> and she proceeds okay. to cough and cough throughout the entire film, even in like voiceovers that are supposed to represent her reading letters. <coughs> Good for you with your grant. Listen, I fixed up the walk-in as a sort of bedroom if you want. We'd love to have you and you wouldn't have to schlep all the way to Queens. <coughs> it's just a thought. And then she dies of lung cancer so this idea and i guess this idea of her ignoring olive's green poop but then Caden being like are you sure it's okay are you sure it's okay and she's like it's it's fine she's ignoring things that are potentially real concerns but in doing so she's maybe she's living whereas Caden, who's so focused on everything that's going wrong or any everything that could potentially be wrong is just slowly dying or something Another way that the two characters are different, but I think that maybe relates to the way they experience time as well, like you were saying. I don't, do you have anything else to add to that? Some of this is also represented with Hazel as well. You know, we, we see Hazel by this house and there's a fire going on in the house as the realtor's taking her through. And, you know, like Hazel pays it no mind. And as she's walking through it, she makes like an offhanded, semi-concerned statement. I'm thinking I should go. You know, it's a perfect size for someone alone. I like it. I, I do. I'm... I'm just really concerned about dying in the fire. But then opts to buy the house. So I, I do feel like the women around Caden are maybe less concerned about these things. There is a distinct difference between, I guess, the women in his life and Caden himself. I view the house on fire thing as representing just as much about how the decisions we make are going to affect our future or how we die. Well, yeah. I mean, I know that's not necessarily a profound interpretation. I'm using this as an example of why this movie is about too much. Doesn't that seem like a detour? You're reeling me in? Reeling me back to the positive side. I get it. Because I, I think you're absolutely right. It seems like a distraction from what is going on with Caden. Like, back to the quote I played, where he's like, you have a different understanding of these ideas and then you have to add them in. This seems like one of those. At some point he was like, you know what? It's not just about death, it's about 
every decision we make in our lives leads to where and how we're going to die. And then he's like, okay, I got to find a metaphor for that. Did that need to be in the film? The film can't be about everything. I know I'm being negative. I'm sorry. So trying to be positive, I want to go back to something you said a little bit earlier and how the first time watching this, the, the comedy worked. Some of it. Some of the comedy worked for you. Admittedly, different experience for me. I didn't actually find the comedy landing for me. I found this to be actually a little glib. <laughs> this is interesting because I would say historically, I'm usually the one who's like, comedy, bad. I did acknowledge that it didn't work when I was rewatching some scenes, and that could be a situation in which it was just too close to my first viewing, that it, it lost some of its power, or if it just like after the initial sort of surprise, it just didn't work. The first scene with Caden, Adele, and the therapist did kind of work for me, honestly, the first time around. The couple lines where she's like, there's no terrible things to say, just true and false. I'm sorry, that's terrible. To say. There are no terrible things to say in here, only true and false. Can I say something awful? Yes, please do. So that kind of made me laugh. We did just talk about the fire scene. The line that made me laugh in that is Hazel is like, uh, I never thought I could afford this house. The sellers are very motivated now. <coughs> that made me laugh. I would say her son living in the basement. I thought that was one of the worst jokes in the entire film. That takes absurdity to another level. That's not even grounded in the scene. That's why that doesn't work for me. This is all absurdity. It is, but so let's say there's a scene in which a house is on fire that is just constantly burning. And they're saying the sellers are really motivated to sell this house now. Isn't that a joke which is referencing the fact that the house is on fire? So that is referencing the scenario in which they had already established and set up. How is, oh yeah, by the way, this character happens to be living in the basement of the house that is on fire. And then he comes up the stairs. How is that related to anything that happened previously? How is that related to the fire? If the point of the scene is to say the decisions we make are going to directly affect what happens in our future. If she moves into this house, it's going to directly affect who she marries in the future. Okay, but that could have been conveyed through any number of scenarios. Someone could have been subletting their apartment or house and she moves in and she later goes on to marry the roommate. Or if it's like she's buying this house that's on fire, maybe the neighbor comes over at some point while she's being shown the house and she has some interaction with the neighbor. The neighbor says, it's a great neighborhood. I hope you, you buy the house. You'll love it here. That sort of thing. And then she's now introduced to the person that she is going to ultimately marry. But by having it be someone living in the basement and this person conveniently coming up the stairs as she's touring the house, that is for comedic effect. I don't know what else it would be. And for me, it's just not funny. I don't think it's funny. I'm just like, okay. I do feel like this is representative of the problem that we've kind of already established here. There's that absurdity element, and then we're just like compiling it. So we're just trying to do even more. And in this case, here's the absurdity of this woman walking through the house, the fire, the sellers are motivated to sell. And here's the next layer. The initial joke is fine by itself. 
So, Justin, let's talk about, like, the knee slapper of all knee slappers in this movie. I'm going to let you say it, because I'm not sure what it is. So, Caden receives this phone call that in the film is very brief, and then he proceeds to explain to Claire this long story of how his father had died. We cut to this funeral for Caden's father, and it's the tiniest casket. It's honestly, like, this is morbid, I apologize, but it looked like a casket, like, even smaller than, like, a child. You missed the setup. The setup was his mother turns to him and says, There was so little left of him. They had to fill the coffin with cotton balls to keep him from rattling around. And then the reveal is that the casket is even smaller than you think it's going to be. So that's the, the payoff, as well as making the previous joke even funnier or something. I don't, didn't work for me. Nope. I legitimately let out a groan on that one. I'm like, oh. Okay. So not humor related, but we go from that to like the horrible, like, way that his mother died too. And there's that scene later where Caden was like showing Tammy where she could sleep and it was his mother's room. And there's like blood all over okay there's there's a lot of ways to die out there it felt a, a bit mean-spirited it would because it is definitely set up as a joke too it's not a like a i'm going to my parents house for the first time and i'm seeing the results of this home invasion and getting a sense of the horrific way my mother died it's a oh you can sleep here open the door floor and bed is covered in blood so it's basically just a setup for a joke. I think the other thing for me specifically is I most of the time respond to humor that they're not delivered like jokes necessarily, or they're not written as jokes. They could function as a joke, but they could also function as just a, another line of dialogue. The two examples I mentioned, I think, are kind of that. The first one is just the fact that she says, oh, there are no terrible things to say. And then she says, can I say something awful? And she says, yes. It's a joke, but it doesn't have to be a joke. The other one is the sellers are motivated to sell. It could be referencing the fire, but it doesn't necessarily have to be. So there are things that could be funny, or they could just be lines of dialogue that progress the scene along, depending on what your perspective is. Derek coming out of the basement, that is a joke that is purely for joke purposes. It's to make you laugh. I think that's the difference for me. Partly the difference. I don't know. But again, I, I mean, I said that they didn't work the second time when I was kind of just scrubbing through. So I don't I don't know if that says I mean, I don't know if that's a fair, a fair way to judge comedy necessarily, but it's it's just what I noticed. OK, I'm d we're done poorly dissecting comedy. OK, well, <laughs> unless you got something. Well, again, acknowledging I didn't laugh. There was a scene in this that I'm like, OK, I kind of liked it again. I didn't find it necessarily funny, but I could see how people would find the humor in it. And it's when Caden is on the airplane and he's reading the book and the therapist is right next to him. Oh, you hated this, didn't you? I did, but go ahead. Continue. Just it being like the punchline is... This book is over. And then he's like paging through. I thought that was all right. Just how in awkward exchange and an unintended rejection of the therapist results in, here's the end of the book. I don't know. I, I thought that worked for me, but you hated it. So let's let's hear that. Okay, that's interesting because... That's an example that can function yeah, I got as something you. else. Yeah. I got you, fucker. 
<laughs> it functions as supporting this idea that your actions, by choosing one thing, everything that would have resulted from that comes to an end. So by him rejecting the therapist, he puts an end to whatever would have resulted from him, you know, not rejecting her. So the end of that story, the end of that book. So it's a thing that can function as a joke, or it could just be this uh, sort of surreal, absurdist moment supporting one of the ideas or themes. So you've, you got me. I can't justify why I didn't find it funny. I just didn't. That's why uh, this whole conversation is ridiculous, because you can never really say why something's funny to you and why it's not, right? Sure. Is this where we talk and transition into the gender question? Sure. You know, it's kind of one of those, like, could be funny to Justin moments dialogue having multiple meanings here. When Michelle Williams states that Caden smells like he's been menstruating. I don't know, like mold and cleaning products, like you're menstruating, I don't know. Menstruating? You tell me. Exactly. I don't menstruate, so I don't know. <laughs> no. No, we're not, we're not going to talk about that, okay. <laughs> Well, no, we can talk about it. I didn't find that. I didn't find that funny. No, no, neither did I. It is kind of interesting to me that just some of the unanswered questions. And again, I'm going to approach this as a positive of the film. We spend so much time in Caden's hypochondria or Hayden's fears of health and death and all of that, that there's these other questions that I think are just incredibly more interesting that I wish that the film actually explored. Whether truthful or not, there is this element of Caden being this Ellen character who cleans Adele's apartment, and then the gender element of that. And, you know, it comes up later after Caden comes home from cleaning Adele's apartment and clear comments of him smelling like he's menstruating. And I feel like there's this element of gender identity. And even then, like later in the film, as he's going through Adele's exhibit, he sees basically this like female version of himself. I found that like, one of those, here's this element that is not actually anything or doesn't really come to anything, except for maybe like play into the end a little bit when Caden kind of gives up directing duties to Millicent. There is this theme of personal identity for sure. There's the moment where Caden is talking to the therapist, and this is, I think, right after he had received the MacArthur grant and he's talking to the therapist about this idea that he received it. He's going to do some work that is going to be, for the first time in his life, personal and honest and real. He's like, I want to put my real self into something. You know, she asks, what is your real self? I don't know yet. It's, MacArthur is, is called the Genius Grant and I, I want to earn it. That's wonderful. God bless. I guess you'll have to discover your real self, right? Yeah. And so then, obviously, I think part of what the process of making the play, this big art piece, is about discovering who he is as well. You know, I obviously had a different interpretation of what it is and what it represents, but I do think from this theme of identity, by him replicating the things that are happening in his real life, it's about him trying to discover who he is through this piece of work. And just this idea that Ellen and Caden 
sort of blend together or swap places or Caden is Ellen all along, all of these potential possibilities just being representative of his lack of identity, his search for identity, or I guess this like sort of fluid nature of identity. Then in terms of why it's Ellen, why it's a female, uh, I don't know. I mean, there's the moment where he's also talking to, they're in the bedroom and he's talking to Tammy. It's after the funeral and he expresses that he sometimes feels like like he would have been better as a woman or something. You wish you were a girl. Sometimes I think I might have been better at it. Interesting. It's kind of a drag in a lot of ways. There's certainly enough there to imply that his gender identity is fluid or he's maybe transgender or something. I don't necessarily read it that way. I think for me, it's maybe just, it feels in line with everything that happens in the film. It's almost like this absurdist sort of concept or scenario. If we're going to explore identity, wouldn't it be wild if he he becomes a woman or he starts to take on characteristics of a woman? That's kind of how I view it, but I'm not saying that's the correct answer, obviously. It's one of the things that we generally like when a film does and it's not provide us answers and it does leave things open to interpretation. This feels like a film so much from one person's perspective. It's about Caden's experiences, Caden's view of the world, Caden's experience of time. That's why we see time fly by and we see all these reminders of death pop up everywhere. It's from his perspective. It's what he's experiencing. It's what he's seeing, which I like. It's why some of the bizarre, surreal, absurd moments can work. But then there's moments where they pull you out of that. The opening scene, he goes out, get his mail and and get his paper. And we see Sammy watching him. If he doesn't know Sammy exists at this point in the film, but we as the audience see Sammy, then the perspective has to be outside of this completely subjective perspective that is Caden. We're seeing stuff outside of Caden's perspective. The scene in which Caden isn't part of the scene. Hazel goes to buy the house. How would Caden have some perspective of what happens there? If I'm supposed to take this film as actually happening, and I'm supposed to believe that this is Caden's perspective, how does he fit into scenes like that? I would say this kind of touches on, if nothing else, one of the issues I have with the house fire scene is this feels out of anybody's perspective. I think we both agree that perspective is important in film. Do you think trying to analyze the perspective from which the film is being told in a film like this is maybe missing the point or not worth even analyzing? Like, is it is it not important to a film like this? I guess my question would be, why isn't it important? I think it is, but I'm starting to feel foolish because I feel like, I don't know. I feel like it's an important thing to discuss because we both acknowledge perspective in a film is important. I will acknowledge I don't have a good answer to the house fire one. To me, that scene just feels like a bit anyways. It kind of feels out of place. Like That's the only scene that I can immediately think of that just feels out of Caden's perspective. For me, at least, I feel like I can justify Caden's perspective in most things, except for this one scene. Yeah, I'm trying to think if there's any other examples like that. I don't know if there are. 
the way I think about it, though, the reason I kind of brought this up is like that opening scene, every arrow is pointing to this idea of death, 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 death. He goes out, he checks his mail. There's like the magazine. I don't even remember what the magazine is, but there's this elderly man with like a oxygen mask on. He goes in, he reads the newspaper after the Harold Pinter story, of course, which he just assumes is death. Harold Pinter died. Wow. Oh. Well, he's old, right? Oh, wait. He won the Nobel Prize. Which I like because it's showing his actual fixation on death. But then after that, it's like, news story about death. News story about death. Olive turns on the television. It's this very surreal cartoon about death. There is a secret something at play under the surface, growing like an invisible virus of thought. Caden starts to appear in things. He appears in the cartoon. He appears in the the medication commercial. He appears on the web page for the book. And so these are things that I assume we're supposed to be like, okay, this isn't literal. We're seeing the world through Caden's eyes for a moment. His obsession on illness and death he's envisioning himself being part of it. We're literally viewing the film through Caden's eyes. If that's the case, why would Sammy be visible in the film at that point? The film is telling us Caden doesn't realize Sammy even exists until much later in the story. So if we are truly seeing the film through Caden's eyes, why would Sammy be visible? That's one example. The fire being another example. Do you remember what real Hazel says to Caden after like Sammy and her have been kind of flirting? He reminds me of you. <laughs> I'm me. You don't need someone to remind you of me. Don't worry, Caden. I like you more. I do. Just Sammy's fun. <laughs> I'm fun. Oh, sweetie, no, you're not. Even the film, at points, does point back to Sammy is Caden. So similar to Caden envisioning himself or seeing himself in these other spaces, this is just Caden, but Sammy as Caden. So it's still Caden's perspective in that regard. I know there's people who point out that there is maybe this like circular nature to the film and even the film kind of commenting on it. I tend to believe that we're watching this film in linear order. Agreed. So what you're saying about Sammy being Caden, doesn't that happen later in the story? Doesn't that happen as this art project begins to get so big that reality and the art begin to, the line between them blurs? Can I ask you two questions? And then based off where they go, we'll agree to disagree. So that opening scene, Caden goes to check his mail. We see Sammy in the background watching. Is Caden aware that Sammy exists at this point in the story? We don't have enough information to truly make that. <laughs> I knew you weren't. I, okay, I knew I'm you not, weren't going to like that answer, but but it's it's true. I, I'm not disagreeing with you, but it's just isn't that a slippery slope? Because couldn't we say that about so many criticisms we have about movies? We just go, well, we don't have enough information sure. to say. We we have acknowledged that the movie lies to us. Yes. Yeah. I do think that perspective and what is happening in some scenes such as this could be a lie as well. That is that is true. <laughs> you, you're like, <laughs> nope, I'm not even going to go down this one. I mean, I really like artifice, and I really like reminding people that they're watching a movie. And I really like the idea of having people question 
the veracity of what they're watching. And, I, you know, and, and so by mixing things that are possibly real with things that are clearly not real or are questionable, I think it, 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 to me it's interesting and, it, and it's fun. And um, I always, I've always liked the fake world. And, 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 it, and I like sets and I like you know, illusion and, and all that stuff. But I don't like being lied to. And I think, in a way, maybe, I, maybe I'm, I think that movies lie a lot. And um, maybe I'm trying not to lie in some of these things by, by saying that I am lying, you know? Then I'm not lying anymore. That makes sense. Okay. I, I, I'm done. We agree to disagree on that. Um, I win. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if anybody's really thinking about this film from like a perspective standpoint because it is so experiential. I mean, it is so surreal and absurd and it's about so many things. Maybe all these things add up to like, you know, a piece of work that is maybe in a way beyond perspective, but I still feel like it matters. So I'm thinking about it. We've talked about a lot of different films on this podcast that I think that are very nuanced. There are a lot of like messages within the films or you can interpret a lot of different things, but it's pretty subtle. I'm going to say that Synecdoche, New York has the subtlety of hitting you over the head with a sledgehammer. I think that this is like one of the problems that I, I have with it and, and, and acknowledging there's a lot of different themes. There's a lot of different things going on here. There is a lot of things that you can interpret, but also I'm just going to focus on the theme of death. This film just like beats you over the head with it. And there's like scene after scene after scene, and there's very little reprieve from it that I actually found it kind of exhausting this time around. You know, maybe that could be a compliment to the filmmaker, because if your theme is death and you are wearing your audience down, maybe that's communicating something. But at the same time, a little bit of breaking that up, giving us something else to kind of latch on to that's not just so like overt or in your face, honestly would have been really nice. I think maybe the lack of subtlety is tied to the fact that there are so many themes and there is so much going on. Not that Kaufman is necessarily a subtle writer or filmmaker in general, but I mean, if you're going to tackle death as an example with subtlety, I think that's going to take a little bit more time. It takes a little bit more time to develop it and to really sort of get to the ideas you want to get to. But this film is like, oh, it's about death. It's about art and the artist. It's about identity. It's about, I don't know, what else is it? Everything we talked about. You know, I've talked about it being about like legacy and what we leave behind. But if you're tackling all of these ideas in a two-hour film, you can't give all of them this sort of slow burn, slow development approach. You have to take shortcuts and and use obvious shorthands to convey those ideas so maybe that's why i'm not saying that that makes it good i would say cut some of those ideas out but go ahead joe for a film that is very focused on death acknowledging that caden has the hypochondria if we're going to make a film about death give me something interesting in their life and I think that's actually another one of those problems that I have with this is there isn't a lot in Caden's life to grasp onto that is, and I'm not saying that, you know, everybody's life has to be interesting, you know, it can be very boring, 
But there's very little of that, too. But that's my point. There's not a lot to grasp onto with his life. So, and sure, maybe that's what the film's trying to say, and that's the point of it. But also, it's not very interesting, everything that's kind of leading up to it, either. This being my first time viewing, that opening scene and its ideas of death, I was like, this is too much. I don't know. It, it was, you know, I think we've talked about throughout the course of this podcast, two things. The idea of what is the first impression to your viewer? You know, what is the opening of your film? What kind of message does that send to your viewer? And then sort of what do you leave the viewer with at the end? What's the last sort of thing you send them off with? And you like to talk about it sticking the landing or not sticking the landing. This is a film that did not give me a good first impression because it was like Caden wakes up. There's talk about death on the radio. Olive has green poop and she's like, am I sick? Am I dying? Then he gets this magazine that has death on it. He gets the newspaper. Every article is about death. She turns on the cartoon. It's about viruses or something. And I'm like, okay, I fucking get it. But like, even like the title is gone in just like the blip as soon as the clock turns. Okay, this is like another one of those representations of death. Yeah. The song that is being sung at the beginning is all about death. Kind of to what you were saying, it's like, yeah, we get it. It's one of those things where you get beaten over the head with it in the first scene that it's like, does that make it a viewer just kind of give up hope on this film right out of the gates? I think it depends on the viewer, but for me, it was just like, I'm starting to already think that this film is just not for me. Obviously, I left feeling it's not for me because I feel like the issues I have just continue or get worse. But I mean, death isn't the only example. This is maybe a small thing in terms of I'm picking out one example of so many things, but I think about the way they established the relationship between Caden and Adele. When Adele and Maria do go to the play, finally, and the play ends, everybody stands up, play gets a standing ovation, and the two of them just remain seated. Okay, so you're trying to convey that she doesn't respect what he does and that she didn't like the play. She has no respect for his work or him. And you have so many ways to convey that information. The way you're going to convey that is standing ovation, but they remain seated. I feel like that's such an obvious over-the-top example of showing that someone didn't like a play. It's like, why can't it be conveyed through performance? It's already conveyed through the conversation while they're walking home, yeah. where she's like, you're just reproducing other people's work. So why do you need this over-the-top gesture? And I think that it actually worked even better in the scene when Caden gets home, when they're sitting there like stoned and, you know, kind of making fun of him a little bit or being sort of judgmental towards him. That scene told me everything I needed. Great. We're a hit. Reviews are great. Time said it was brilliant casting young people. It was Willie and Linda. That's great. Kaden, good for you. That's, I can't wait to see it tomorrow, that's, uh, tonight. <laughs> You're right. Like, that's what's good about that scene is that mainly through performance, you get how these two women feel about this guy and the work that he's doing. But the words that they say are the opposite. 
you know, they'll say, they'll say supportive words. They'll say, it only matters what you think of the play. Congratulations, good job, all that kind of stuff. The things that a normal human being would say to another person just to be nice, whether they mean it or not. But it's the way they say it. It's the performance behind it that shows you everything you need to know. But this moment of like, okay, we're just going to sit down and while everybody else is standing clapping, like that's, that's just lazy to me, I feel. You know, you, you've got me like reconsidering, like Adele, Catherine Keener has this line of everyone is disappointing the more you know them. Everyone is disappointing it. The more you know someone, it just... You know, I, I thought that it's a great line. I thought that it was delivered really well. But I feel like there's so much that's, like, happened in this relationship that we know this. Like, we can see it that it doesn't necessarily need to be a line. Yeah. Since we're on the topic of kind of, hate to say it, but the heavy-handedness to it, Hazel has a line where it's, the end is built into the beginning. The end is built into the beginning. You're, you're telling your audience, hey, this is what this means. And this is tough for me because, again, going back to something I said earlier, like, I love Charlie Kaufman's work. I really do. Steering this in a direction that, you know, as outsiders, is pure speculation. We have no idea. Although you can go and read the screenplays for these films and then you can go and watch the, the finished film. Do you think there's something to be said for the Kaufman screenplays that are directed by someone else versus the Kaufman screenplay directed by himself? In this case, this being his first time directing, that some of those some of those elements that we've kind of critiqued get chiseled away when you have another strong creative force behind the film, you know, like a Spike Jones or a Michel Gondry who can maybe remove some of those uh, impulses from Charlie Kaufman that don't quite work as well. But it's speculation, I mean. Yeah, since uh, this summer has been all about the multiverse, somewhere in the infinite multiverse, there's a version of this film that was directed by Spike Jones, who, doing a little bit of digging, it sounds like this originally kind of came from them trying to work on a film together. I wonder what that end result would be, all due respect to the filmmakers involved. I think we both know it can be really hard when it's your script that you're directing that maybe you're just a little too close to. And and I can't help but question that a little bit here. So to your point, would a Jones or Gondry maybe molded this to be a little bit tighter or taken it in a direction that is a little bit more nuanced? There is more of an interesting life that makes the death worthwhile. I think he was a really wonderful director. Uh, I think he is a director. I think he's, a, he's obviously a great writer. Uh, but I think he's a director. I think he is one of those auteur-type people. And they're, they're a specific type of person, you know. And... Um, and I do think he is that guy. It was never. There was never any time when we were shooting that I felt like he didn't. He didn't understand what it meant to direct. He didn't understand what it meant to uh, converse with the actor or the DP or whoever, in a way that uh, clarified a situation or helped or aided in some way. Uh, that he didn't, you know, fight for what he thought was uh, the thing that needed to happen. Uh, that he didn't have empathy for the struggles that everyone was going through. You know, that he had that quality and he had stamina. Um, so I think he, he, he to me, it's, he, might, he, he might as well have been directing his whole life, in my, my view. 
Do you feel like this captures like just the overall like human experience, Justin? Uh, I do not. The reason I don't is because it is so crude and broad in its characterizations. Every other character is sort of, this is where it's like, is this Caden's perspective? Is it feels, this is just how Caden views people. Someone who's focused on just themselves would be sort of oblivious to the things that make people interesting or likable or even just, you know, sort of nuanced or damaged or whatever. All the things people are, he would be oblivious to those things because he's so focused on himself, so focused on his his illnesses, his death. Is that what the film is trying to convey? That being said, Caden himself is so one note. I mean, what defines Caden? His fixation on death and his, what, his hypochondria? Like, what else do we know about him? He's a theater director. I think that there is an element, and I, I feel like it is weak. And I feel like it is almost like a screenwriting 101 reasons you should empathize with your character. And it is basically Olive and his desire to kind of get Olive back and, you know, that connection to to his daughter. Now, I also do feel like that's quickly abandoned. I feel like that's maybe inconsistent as well. I don't know about you, but did you get a strong sense that Olive is a big part of his life before they leave? No, not at all, because Olive's primary interactions were with Adele. It was Adele, like, checking her poop, wiping her butt, like, making her the breakfast. There's the one scene where they're walking together, he stops and zips up her jacket, and they even use that as the one scene in the flashback slash diary entry about the fairies, that story, and they show flashbacks of basically that day, which I don't think does the film any favors because it's like you show one scene of them walking together, and then you're going to have this diary entry implying that they had this great relationship together, and you're going to flash back to the one scene we've already seen. It just gives this impression that like, they didn't honestly spend that much time together. I do think that that scene between them is a nice scene. It is, but see, that's the thing, though. From my perspective, those are the things that represent life. Yes. Those are the things that make up life, is the small moments between you and another person. Mm -hmm. But there's so few of those, because most interactions between two characters is about uh, supporting a theme or supporting an idea rather than showing actual human interactions. And I know there's also the theme of like people not connecting, theme of people miscommunicating and misinterpreting things people say. Those are also themes. And so obviously, you're going to get scenes in which people are not connecting to convey those themes. But there's so little of anything that represents, I think, true human interactions in this film. It just feels so much focused on theme delivery to me, honestly. Going back to Caden as a father, I mean, we focus on Olive, but he has a daughter with Claire. And there's really like no focus on like him as a parent in regards to that relationship and makes the comment that he needs to go find his daughter. Yeah, I have to go find my daughter. Your daughter's right here. My real daughter. Excuse me? No, my, my first daughter, Olive, I have to go find her. But again, I think that's because they're just stand-ins until he can recover what is the true relationship, the true daughter. 
holding on to the past is part of this. There is an element, I think, of trying to hold on to those things that we perceive making us whole. Again, another item that in the laundry list of things this movie is trying to do that never comes full circle. Do you have any other perspectives on whether this at all represents the human experience or sort of a shared human experience, or do we kind of cover it all? I I think that we've summarized it well. So I do want to talk about something positive, or at least from my perspective, this was a positive. I really appreciated the color palette that was used. Let me preface that by saying this isn't necessarily an attractive film to look at because there are a lot of darker colors, a lot of like blacks and browns, a lot of like olive green colors. But then even the moments where there are a lot of colors, they're a bit desaturated. Really, there's only a couple exceptions to that. And generally, they're in some form of false reality, like TV commercial, or like later on, there's like this memory that is brightly lit and brightly colored. Even Olive's tattoos as she's like dying, there's color to them, but it's really like darker in tone. It's a color palette that I may not necessarily choose myself. I do feel like it works with the theme and and what the film is trying to convey. I guess the look of the city that's replicating New York, just this idea of a lot of like a lot of brick, a lot of steel. So it's all like brown, gray brick. You know, you see the ceiling of their studio warehouse thing, the sort of the steel girders and it's warm tones, but sort of very colorless. The environment does a lot of the heavy lifting there too to kind of support the themes. You know, I'm I'm always interested in the color palette that a film chooses. Yeah. Just my initial thoughts here before we get started. This is going to be, I guess, slightly negative. I will have some positive things to say, but there'll be some negative things to get through first. I don't know if the camera, and by camera, I mean the camera placement, camera angles, the framing. I don't know if that's really doing a lot or a lot is being said with the camera. It's a lot of just Go ahead. Was it just me or did this feel just like, I hate to say it this way, but the cinematography just felt kind of bland and boring to me. Could that also be a product of what the film is about, though? It very much could be. And I think that's fair, but we've talked about on this podcast that where you put the camera, sort of maybe how far away from your subject, or maybe an interesting choice with framing, or low angle, high angle, all these sort of different camera techniques can be used to tell the story visually or communicate something about your character visually, communicate a relationship between two characters visually, any number of things. This just feels like a standard wide two shot over the shoulders, get your coverage and we'll figure it out in post type of movie to me. Am I wrong in simplifying it that way? I'm going to say no. And I actually can't wait to talk to you about like the editing piece of this, because I actually have some thoughts there. Just to play devil's advocate a little bit in regards to basically that simplicity, or you know, I refer to it as maybe like boring. I do kind of also wonder, one, tying it back to the theme of the film, but also like I'm thinking about if if I were to just like go and shoot a stage play, 
how would I do that? And I think that there is an element here where it's like, well, this is what would be available for that coverage that you could get. So I do feel like there's almost this element of trying to serve this notion of this being a play. Now, I'm not going to say that that necessarily works, but I do feel like maybe if we look at it in context of that, maybe that's why some of these decisions are made. Maybe it is. Yeah. I just want to clarify something. I think you obviously know this, and I think maybe people who've actually been listening know this. I don't mean when I critique the cinematography or the camera placement in this film, I'm not saying it's boring or it's too boring. I do think there's an element of boring, bland, or sort of simple benefiting the story. I just also feel like by framing every shot as like a close-up or an over-the-shoulder, you're failing to communicate certain things visually that you could by just trying a different angle or pulling the camera back or something. Pulling the camera back doesn't all of a sudden make the shot interesting. It communicates something visually about the scene, about the characters, about the relationship, whatever. So I just don't feel like that's there. Now, what you said may be true. Here's a counter to your counter. Don't you think if we were trying to replicate the look or represent the look of a stage play, that there would be wide shots that hold longer than four seconds or something? Yeah. I mean, the whole idea of theater is like you're at a distance. I mean, the actors are there closer to you because you're in the same room with the actors, but you're still at a distance. I mean, you're still in the audience. You're not right up in someone's face. So I don't know, would that be a better way to convey the this is a play sort of look? Well, maybe. I guess like one of the questions that I would actually have on this would be how much thought actually went into that element? I feel like the film is communicating a lot through story, through dialogue, through... Through costumes and set decorations. Yeah, and through I think... costumes, through set decorations, through color, um, through, through like actions of characters, I would even say to a degree. Yeah. But I don't feel like anything's being communicated through its cinematography. I mean, that's how I feel. I, I don't know if there's something there that's intentional or if that's because the focus was on something else, all these other things. There is that shot right in the opening where Caden's staring at himself in the mirror. And I thought that shot cut through everything, like the heavy handedness that was going on. To me, this is telling me something. This is visually interesting. This is communicating a little bit about who Caden is, hearing kind of the chaos that's like happening in the background. I understand who this character is. But then unfortunately, we don't really have any more of those moments. At least nothing that really stands out to me as being like, okay, this is really unique and interesting. And since you're talking about the opening, let's talk about the opening a little bit more. Let's talk about the first shot of this film. Of an alarm clock? The alarm clock. Joe, if I recall... Jesus. You're really going to do this to me right now. No, I'll turn this on me. No, I, I'll do it. I will say my piece about alarm clocks. Okay, let me start, and then I'm going to turn it to you. So I do think there's a, obviously a big theme of time in the film. So starting on alarm clock, maybe it's appropriate. That being said, in our Bless Their Little Hearts episode, I had expressed you should introduce your character doing something that defines who they are as a character, not waking up in the morning, because everybody wakes up in the morning you know, until you don't. It's not saying anything unique about that particular character. So I would say not a good start to the film. I would argue 
that in opening with Caden at the hospital or something or at the doctor's office, worried about something that's potentially wrong with him would be a, a more appropriate way to introduce Caden than him waking up in the morning. It's introducing him in a key moment of internal conflict, a moment that defines who he is. It says something unique about his character and waking up in the morning isn't unique to him. So that's my thoughts on it. But also, I remember, Joe, <laughs> that there was a time when you were like, if I ever see another film that opens on an alarm clock, I'm going to freak out. So did you like the opening shot? I agree with you as far as the way that we're introduced to Caden. It's not a strong character introduction. Now, if your film is about Caden's mundane life, then this opening might work to an extent. Yeah, I would agree. Or if he struggles to get out of bed every morning, if that's what defines him, then this is a great opening. If he's depressed or if he's like in an unhappy marriage and he doesn't want to go deal with the family. Okay. So you talk about him going to the doctor. I like that idea of an opening for this. I would have rather have seen this film open with Caden at one of his parents' funerals. You're showing Caden like kind of being surrounded by death and then at the funeral, he's talking about how, well, his father died of, you know, lung cancer or, and now he's like, well, now I, I feel like maybe I need to go get looked at. You see the hypochondria thing kind of coming into play. Yeah. I understand that there's a lot of love for this movie. I also understand that lots of films appreciate opening with an alarm clock and an alarm clock going off. You gotta stop. You're waking up in the morning. This is the start of a day. You have officially started your film in, from my perspective, one of the least interesting ways possible. Okay, this person's waking up. Now they're getting up. Now they're going to go brush their teeth. I don't care. And at the point that we actually get to something that I might care about, it's too late. You've already wasted your first couple minutes on this pointless mundane thing that in the grand scheme of your film doesn't go anywhere. Sure, if your film is about time. I get it. Okay, I can see that argument. But that's the thing. Again, this film is about so much. It is about time. But is time the number one thing it's about? No. I would say no. So, I mean, it's closely related. I think time is closely related to death, but still, I think that death ain't... Okay, here's what it is. I'm sorry to cut you off. Time is a theme, and both of the ways we suggested opening this film is about character, and that's the difference between what I like to see and what this film is. It's focused on theme, and I like films that are focused on character. Go ahead, sorry. So, in both of our cases, we could introduce theme and character, because in both of those circumstances, you could have a wall clock, even if even <laughs> and, and that's different because it's not somebody waking up in the morning. You're still in the middle of. Oh, but, yeah. we, you know, we're still focused on the, the time element. If this movie was about the inevitable careen towards our demise as an individual, it's more interesting to me if as Caden is like sitting there, he is watching a clock that is ticking away at time. There is an element of this film that is just wasting time. So show me that. 
I want to ask you, do you see many alarm clocks now? Or was this a thing like 10 years ago? I feel like it's gotten less popular. I feel like it has gotten less popular. Um, This is probably like a five to seven year old rant at a couple film festivals that I have attended within the last like two years or so. There's still some. There's still some. It's still a popular opening. What's uh, No, I feel like it's been replaced by starting a conversation on their cell phone just as the movie starts. Because let's start with exposition. I'll be the first to admit I'm not a well-versed editor. For me, and maybe you disagree with this, but for me, the editing in this actually stood out as a significant negative as well. I felt like this one was, you know, you've used the term we've seen and talked about films that are over-edited. I kind of felt like this one was over-edited. Yeah, I agree. Let's tackle this first, and I will get into something that I do think is somewhat positive about the editing in a minute. But overall, I think it's edited in a way that I don't know what the edits are communicating. Just like every single decision you make in a film, the idea of dressing Olive in a green jacket, the decision of, you know, desaturating the color in especially the end of the film, all these decisions, they're communicating something. The the camera placement communicating something. Every single edit should also be communicating something. The cut or the lack of the cut should be communicating some information about your story, your characters, the theme in the case of this film. And I don't think that that's necessarily happening here. I think it's just cut to keep up a rhythm, I guess. And well, it's coverage and it's, I guess, to keep it interesting. So this is sort of like a, let's play devil's advocate for a second here. There's the moment after Caden has the accident, the faucet shoots up, hits him in the head. They go to the hospital. They're driving home. Adele is driving, Caden in the passenger seat, Olive in the back seat. Then my pupils weren't properly uh, opening and closing. Dilating. No. Yeah. I don't think that's what he said. Yes. That's not what he said. Is it the bump to your head? He doesn't know, maybe. He said he doesn't think so, but maybe. But he doesn't know. But maybe. Okay, Jesus, Caden, I got it. He doesn't know. Sorry. I'm a little anxious. Did you have to get a shot, Daddy? No, honey. This is started something awful. Do I have to get a shot? Of course not. Did you tell him I have green poops? Fuck timing. And that scene gets cut quicker and quicker and quicker. I mean, it starts out pretty quick, but it gets quicker and quicker, and the music is building, it's building. You don't have to worry, honey. You don't have blood. I don't think you should tell her she doesn't have blood. Stop it. I guess to create the sense of anxiety and this building anxiety. So that's an example of editing for a purpose. You could say the whole film is edited this way to support the idea of the passage of time. Because when we see a long take, as viewers, we become, I think, acutely aware of time. It feels like time is slowed down if we just hold on this long, even static take. Do you agree? Yeah. So the alternative is like, let's cut it fast. It'll give the impression of time passing quickly. Maybe that was a thought. I don't know. But here's what makes me think that this film is just edited this way for other reasons. The entire film is this way. It's so one note. There's not a single moment in which it breaks this pattern. And I would say that it's the moments with Hazel that should break this pattern. She's the person who represents the closest thing to a connection that Caden 
gets in this film. And they have those moments, like the moment when they're on the bench outside and Hazel's like, I'm reading the trial. I'm such an idiot for not knowing about this book. <laughs> as famous as it turns out. <laughs> You're not an idiot. Then you say, in fact, Hazel, you're very bright, and I love your eyes. In fact, Hazel, you're very bright. Why am I? <laughs> and I love your eyes. Do you? Oh, darling. Then what do I say? I can't say what then you say. Why? Because it's dirty. That's a, supposed to be like the sweet moment between them. At least I interpret it that way. I thought so. There's the same cutting pattern. And then the moment where they're on the couch in her apartment, they're having the drink. It's the moment where she's like, you know, get on your knees and, and ask me for a kiss or beg me for a kiss. It's good. Does it make you want to kiss me? Kind of. Tell me why. Because I, f I feel a lot of longing. Mm -hmm. Beg a girl. Why don't you? Please, Hazel. On your knees. What? I want you to beg me on your knees for a kiss. Just for fun. <laughs> <laughs> Why am I doing this? For fun, baby. Will you help me forget my troubles? Every shot is one line of dialogue. It'll be like, Hazel will say a line. It'll be a close-up of Hazel. Cut to Caden, line of dialogue. Cut to Hazel, line of dialogue. During our hard ticket to Hawaii and Miami Connection episodes, I talked about this idea of action being shot, reverse shot, with no connecting shots, and just how repetitive it gets. This, I feel like, is the dramatic equivalent of that. It's just shot reverse shot each shot represents one line of dialogue so we're talking like two second shot cut two second shot cut it's just back and forth back and forth these are the moments where he's starting a relationship with the person that he is ultimately going to be fixated on for the entire film it's going to be like the one who got away up until the point where they do end up together and of course she dies almost immediately this should be the moment where the film slows down if you have as an example his scenes with adele being like cut 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 then when he has a scene with hazel it should be two shot hold these are two actors who can pull this off just hold on a two shot and this is a moment where they're connecting this is a moment where time slows down but we don't get any of that it's just the entire film has this continuous rhythm and so this is what i'm going to use i'm speculating but this is what i'm going to use as the reason for me to believe that it's not serving some greater purpose. It's just they wanted to get this quick rhythm, I guess, to keep it interesting, to keep it moving, whatever. It might just be me, but kind of feels like a lot of when we talk about both like the visuals and how it was shot and this with how it's edited, it feels like there's just like a lot of, well, this is the way it's done. Here's my coverage for a single get the lines, here's my coverage for the reverse, and then we're in the editing bay, cut, cut, cut. You've talked about it too, I think with No Bears, and how you liked that they were using like reaction shots. Oh yeah, 
the idea of holding on the person who's not talking to see their reaction. There's almost none of that in this film. It's like the shot itself is just a dialogue delivery device. You focus on the person who's talking. And then when they stop talking, you cut to the next person who's talking. Yeah, I don't care for it, honestly. Yeah, no, I nor nor do I. And again, you know, I because I think we brought it up with alternate ways that we could have started the movie. There is something to be said about like not showing like Hazel or Adele or um, other characters like React reactions, but just showing Cadence reactions. Because if we're going with that theory that Cadence is a little bit more like self-centered, you wouldn't necessarily like show those reaction shots. You would still get the dialogue. Any like reactions would be Caden focus and Caden reactions. But even there, that doesn't exist here. Yeah, I agree. I will turn to something positive. I this film uses a couple techniques that we've talked about previously, quite frequently, actually, the, the idea of sound bridges and elliptical cutting. And I think it's used to good effect here. I think both and both together create this idea of time passing. This also this idea of days blending into each other or, or forming sort of one existence. This is my favorite example, and I, I can't necessarily identify why it's my favorite. There's the moment where Caden gets the facts from Adele saying, please do not read Olive's diary. She left it under her pillow. Olive wanted me to ask you not to read her diary. She left it under her pillow by mistake. And then we cut to Caden in her room. He's walking to her bed. We get the sound of someone knocking at the door as he like finds the the diary under the pillow and picks up the, the diary and then more knocking and then we hear the sound of the door opening. And then we cut to Caden standing in front of the open door and he's handed the letter which says that he got the MacArthur Fellowship Grant. He opens the letter, we hear the guy reading the letter aloud. Dear Mr. Cotard, it is my pleasure to inform you that you have been named the 2009 MacArthur Fellow. It is our hope that you will use your newly found financial freedom to create something unflinchingly true, profoundly beautiful, and of unremitting value to your community and to the world at large. And then that dialogue of him reading the letter continues. And then we cut to picture of Caden sitting in therapy as the letter is continued to be read. We essentially have two, I'd say one strong elliptical cut, which is the cut from the bedroom to the door. And then we have two sound bridges, which is the sound of the door coming in before we see him at the door and the sound of the letter being read aloud over the, uh, the shot of him at the therapist's office. And then that scene with the therapist continues from there. It gives a sense of time moving quickly, but then it also, the days blending into each other. I think there are moments of good editing, whether it be like scene to scene editing or just like more sort of montage moments. And then the other thing I wanted to point out is the Laurel Lee fairy story. You know, she's, so she's reading the story about how I used to do this thing with my father. We used to pretend you know, I was a fairy, he was a fairy, and she has the story. And then we cut to flashbacks of child Olive and Caden doing this. And we hear adult Olive reading the diary entry, as well as young Olive and Caden saying the lines as well, and the dialogue sort of overlaps. It is perhaps times like these that one reflects on things past. An article of clothing from when I was young, a green jacket, a walk with my father. 
a game we once played. Pretend we're fairies. I'm a girl fairy and my name is Laura Lee. And you're a boy fairy and your name is Titri. Pretend when we're fairies we fight each other. And I say, stop hitting me or I'll die. And you hit me again. And I say, now I have to die. And you say, but I'll miss you. And I say, I have to. And you'll have to wait a million years to see me again. And I'll be put in a box. And all I'll need is a tiny glass of water and lots of tiny pieces of pizza. And the box will have wings like an airplane. And you ask, where will it take you? Home, I say. I, l- I liked that moment. Did you have any thoughts on that? That was a really good moment. I thought it was... And this doesn't necessarily have to do with editing per se, but I thought it was interesting the use of voiceover. Normally, not a fan of voiceover, but the voiceover of the diary entries and the continuation of those diary entries as time passed and, you know, the different versions of Olive. Yeah, so that's just an example of a montage moment that I think is well cut, uh, both picture and audio. And I thought it gave a great sense of memory, what it feels like to sort of recall a memory and look back on this moment that you look back on with fondness. And if that was what the film was, especially dealing with death, I think it's a much better film. That's a moment in which I feel like there's life. Exactly. It's like about a relationship and it's about a specific moment in a relationship and it feels real. And so you do get a sense of emotion in that moment. I mean, it's not like I'm crying, but it's like you get a tangible sense of even though they don't even set it up, they don't set it up well. But even with the way that is constructed, you get a tangible sense of they had a good relationship in this moment and it brings out a little emotion in you and the rest of the film just feels so lifeless. So yeah, I agree. If if there was more of that, or if that's what the film was, I mean, I think that would say more about our experience as humans, our shared experience as humans facing life, facing death. That's ultimately where this film fails for me. I walked away not feeling anything from this. If we're looking at a film that is focused on death or the time that, that we have here, isn't it important to have an understanding of of the life and to reflect on and look at that life, the moments that made that life worth living. I feel like this film is devoid of that. And and admittedly, like not every moment, not every day is this transcendent day that makes our life worth living. Yes, there's there's the mundane, there's the habitual, the routines that we have to go through. And while I feel like there's elements of this reflection from Caden, we're not reflecting on anything worth reflecting on. That may be harsh criticism, but I, I stand by that. As somebody who loved this film previously, as somebody who found a lot to this, as a film that had previously impacted me, I'm disappointed that time has not been kind to the film for me. Takeaways for me, I mean, as a filmmaker, this is speaking as a filmmaker, you should maybe focus on having your film about one thing and doing that one thing really well. And maybe it can be about other things. I mean, we've talked about films that have been thematically rich. I mean, we talked about No Bears being about so many things. We've talked about- I think Terrorizers was about a lot of stuff too. Terrorizers, Mulholland yeah. Mulholland drives about a lot of things. 
I think a hard ticket to Hawaii is about a lot of things. <laughs> I'm not saying you have to only be about one thing, but I do think you should focus on the things that are most important to your story and and doing those things really well. I think you can put too much into a film thematically, and I think this is an example of it. On a positive note, I thought the way this film plays with time is really well done and really interesting and if you're making a film about the passage of time or there's so many films that cover a person's entire life or they have huge jumps in time i think the way this film does it is really interesting to convey the the passage of time i think there would be something to learn from it in that way if ever i come across a story that i am trying to write and produce about the passage of time I might give this a rewatch just to kind of see the techniques that they use because I think that was done well in this film. I'm just a little person One person in a sea Of many little people Who are not aware of me I do my little job my little kid and wife and somewhere maybe someday maybe somewhere far away I'll find a second little person who will look at me and say I don't think there are any rules I mean there's experience and there's trying to figure out a creative way to tell a story. Those are the two things I think that I'm interested in, you know, and, and that maybe I have at, at this point, um, some of, so, but there aren't any rules. I've got some maybe skill or something like that, but I don't think of it as that there are rules that I'm, that I'm either, you know, adhering to or, or, or throwing away. I mean, I, I, I really do try to think of it as this is a piece of work. I have these different tools to work with. I have the ability to create fictional people, I have the ability to um, describe scenery, I've got the ability to put it in a certain order, um, I've got the ability to write lines for these people, then I figure out the best way to do that, in, in, to my mind. And, and, uh, but I don't think about, you know, I, I kind of vaguely know what a three-act structure is, but it doesn't interest me. It doesn't interest me. I mean, it, it's, it's, it seems like an odd thing. It seems like it's like saying that there's one way to paint a painting. No one, no one says that, but they do say that there's one way to write a screenplay, and um, I, don't, I disagree. where we usually talk about what's coming up on our next episode. We just wanted to share with everyone that there will be no new episode on September 1st. We will be back with a new episode on September 15th. 
and then from there resume with our normal release schedule. At that point, we will be talking about Andrzej Zulowski's Possession. I think the way we thought about this, at least the way I thought about this, is we were going to slowly lead into the month of October, and October will be horror films. Through the month of September, we were going to sort of slowly lead into horror films with some of these more critically acclaimed, these more maybe artistic sort of approaches to horror, and then maybe tackle something a little different in October. Horror is one of those like guilty pleasure genres for me. And there's so many like great horror film podcasts out there that, you know, when we decided to do this, I don't think we wanted to just, you know, focus on the one genre, but we're going to give in and we're going to do what everybody does. And, you know, in October be strictly traditional horror, but the couple releases that you'll get from us in September will be sort of those, you might hear them often referred to as elevated horror, artistic horror, art horror. There's a lot of terms thrown around for these that Justin and I don't necessarily love. We'll call it art horror for now. Just think of your non-traditional, non-necessarily like slasher type films. Like I said, I'm I'm excited for this. Uh, real quick, Joe, I mean, do you have any thoughts on Possession? Have you seen Possession before? I have not seen Possession, but um, I do know that Possession stars an actor that I have always had a fondness for. It'll change the way you look at him forever. For real? Okay. I don't, I don't know. I've always been a fan of Sam Neill. I think he's, he, he does films that I normally at least like him in, and he's in a film that got me into film. So I've always had a soft spot for him. Thank you for listening. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you'd like to support the show, please leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and share it with somebody that you think might enjoy it. I think Joe and I would really appreciate if there's people out there who feel like we we missed something on this film, if we got something uh, completely wrong on this film. Or if you just have a significant difference of opinion than us on this one. If you want to say anything about our coverage of this film, you can email us at scenebyscenepodcast at gmail.com. You can also send any additional questions or comments, thoughts about the show there as well. If you'd like to follow us on Letterboxd, I can be found at letterboxd.com slash Justin Johnson, and Joe can be found at letterboxd.com slash jrlefebvre83. Links will be in the description. And join us on uh, September 15th for Possession. You don't have to look at the set anymore. I mean, the movie's over. Your movie was over. That's what you said. There's nothing going on uh, in movies right now. Great movie, huh? So refreshing to see something like this after all these cop movies. Have you seen a lot of movies here? What are you so crazy about movies for? Obviously, they don't watch enough movies. That's part of your problem, you know. You haven't seen enough movies. All of life's riddles are answered in the movies. Do you have any experience in motion pictures? Quite a bit of experience. I'm an active renter at Blockbuster. I love the fact that you did all this work. I think it will help you later, but not on this movie. Sorry, can we cut? <laughs> still rolling. You know what? No, not still rolling. Cut, 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 cut. Cut! And cut! That great work, everybody. That's a wrap.